This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. In this edition, China stock specialist David Kricher tips us two winners. David Kricher is one of many highly skilled South Africans who are making names for themselves in London, the world's financial centre. He's also one of the few Westerners who identified the opportunity in Chinese stocks long before they started becoming fashionable. The performance of Kricher's Cedarburg Capital China-focused fund has been astonishing. It generated a 75% return last year. That confirms the tightly focused portfolio's ranking in the top 1% worldwide since it was launched seven years ago. I met Kricher earlier this year and was immediately struck by the old adage of an apple not falling far from the tree. Because I also know Neil Kricher, David's father, through our numerous media engagements over the past few decades, when he was managing director of Momentum, which is one of South Africa's top three life assurers. Neil, who left the corporate world on retirement for a professorship at Stellenbosch University, is a qualified actuary who aced all his degrees come louder, (laughs) the same thing that his son has been doing. And the last time I saw Neil was in Omaha for the Berkshire Hathaway AGM a few years ago, that cathedral of value investing, a passion quite clearly shared by his overperforming son. The younger Kricher's talent is now being recognized on a bigger stage. His keynote was second up at the annual London Value Investor Conference last week, where he shared his two best ideas. I caught up with him over the tea break. I am David Kricher. I'm a founder and CIO of Cedarburg Capital, which are greater China long-only specialists. Uh, started about seven years ago, uh, and we have about half a billion dollars uh, in assets under management. I've been investing in Asia for about 17 years and in Chinese companies for about 13 years. In his presentation, before he went into the two stock picks, Kricher highlighted what he called the eight myths about investing in Chinese shares. The first myth is one can't make money investing in China. And so we've shown the numbers that actually over the last 15 years, Chinese equities have beaten pretty much so almost every major equity asset class, it's done double, 16% per annum in dollar terms. Uh, that's double what the UK equities would have given you, 8% per annum. Even the, the US, the S&P 500 at all-time high, the US over the last 15 years has given investors, um, I believe it's 10% per annum. And so China has actually been, even if you just you know, passive investor. Is it easy enough to do that? To buy an index, uh, it easy. There are lots of there are a lot of trackers out there, a lot of ETFs out there. So yeah, of course we think we can do better, and we have historically uh, beaten the index by about seven percentage points per annum. Um, so it's a, it's quite an inefficient place. But to the the myth that one that it's hard or impossible to make money investing in China is simply not true. So that's myth one. Yeah. Second myth is that. Uh, if one were to make money in China, it's because one gets the big macro calls right. And so we've put two 
pieces of evidence that we think that's actually not a good way of making money in China. The one is Gordon Chang wrote a book called The Coming Collapse of China in 2001. It's a bestseller. Uh, Mr. Chang's speaking on the, uh, to the FT. He's on the conference circuit. Of course, had we followed his advice, we would have, wouldn't have made our clients any money. And then the second piece of evidence is the, the economist, um, we, we're subscribers, but in 2016, January 2016, the cover basically suggested that China was about to fall, fall off a cliff, the market, the economy, the currency. What's happened since then? The economy's recovered, the currency is up by 10%, markets doubled. So our point is, if you're going to invest in China, looking at macro is a really hard way of making money. Finding great businesses and, and waiting for Mr. Market to, to give you a good price, that's a far easier way to make money. It, it is the, uh, very uh, much aligned with what the guys at Berkshire Hathaway have to say as well. I mean, you can hear the noise going in the background because these people are going back into the, into the uh, event. But you ended off your, your presentation with a quote from Charlie Munger that we'll talk about in a moment. But it, it, is there much... Uh, else in those eight myths that, uh, that would, well, would align with what Berkshire Hathaway guys took? Yeah, I think, I think so. I mean, I think you know, Berkshire, obviously, you know, one of Buffett's prime tenets of investing is be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And, 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 and based on those eight myths, uh, the common thread to each of them is deep skepticism towards China. It's less, uh, it's less severe than it was, say, two years ago, but folks are mostly underweight. And, and if we say underweight, what does that mean? Well, it's 4% in the MSCI world, so it's, it's a very low bar to clear. Just explain that. 4% in the world index, and yet you, you made the point that in purchasing power parity terms, and you need to explain that, yes. it's actually bigger than America. The, the economy is bigger than America. So why is it so small in the global index? Why is it so small in the global index? I think mostly because uh, MSCI and FTSE and other index providers have, have, behind the, have been behind the curve. Global investors have been behind the curve. They don't have the language um, capabilities within their teams. Uh, they don't have boots on the ground. So they're not ready, really. They're not adequately prepared to invest. Of course, what they would say is that, um, you know, there are capital controls in place, free float. They, they, they use free float adjusted. And because a lot of these sat on enterprises, um, have limited free flows. Uh, the, the, the free flow adjusted market cap is 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 is, uh, is, is lower. Um, but but I think that you know that four percent is going to become ten percent is going to become twenty percent. Um, and I, I I mean I I'd go on record to say that. I mean it's when's that going to happen? Ten years, twenty years, thirty years? Who knows? But 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 the um, direction of travel is very clear. And the size of the economy? Size of the economy is uh, it's a twelve trillion dollar economy. The U in, in nominal terms, the U.S. is about an eighteen trillion dollar economy. So, the economy is expected to to, uh, to to overtake the U.S. in the next fifteen years by by most commentators. But it's already bigger in PPP bigger in PPP. But is, what, what does that mean? what that means? I mean, PPP the most famous example is probably like the Big Mac index. It's 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 adjusting. Um, for the size of pricing in different markets. So cost of living in the U.S. far more expensive. Big Mac in the U.S. costs maybe $5 and in China costs maybe $3. So it's, it's making that adjustment.
Makes sense to me. But deciding exactly which Chinese stocks to buy is another matter entirely. We own Tencent and Alibaba in the BizNews Global portfolio, but that's because of familiarity on the one hand through South African-listed Naspers, which is the biggest shareholder in Tencent, and on the other, Alibaba's notation on the New York Stock Exchange. When it comes to shares listed in Shanghai and Shenzhen, things are trickier. Thankfully, that's where Kricher has focused his attention. And when we spoke last, you gave us some interesting insights mm. into stocks, but today mm. you went public on two. Yeah. Uh, how easy, first of all, is it to buy uh, Mutai? Mutai, uh, yeah. Mutai and Donga Urja are the two, the two companies we, 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 we discussed. They're both A shares, what well, that means they're listed um, on the onshore stock market, Shanghai and Shenzhen. And uh, so not in Hong Kong. Not in Hong Kong. You have to buy them onshore. These days, f- much easier than it used to be. It used to be quite hard. But about two years ago, something called the Stock Connect was put in place. And that, that, I- that means that anyone who's got a stock brokerage account in Hong Kong can now actually buy Shanghai and Shenzhen listed companies. South African? South African, sure. If they can get around, obviously, the, the, sort of the South African exchange controls, absolutely. Because I, I guess South Africans know Tencent, yes, and they see how amazingly that mm. is done for mm. their nice shares. Mm. So they would have more of an affinity with the China growth story. But how do you even start getting? Yeah, the, I mean, the China growth story. I mean, Tencent's sort of the poster child for that, really, and it's very hard to <laughs> to, to, to to sort of. It's unique, right? Um, but we think that these companies, uh, these dominant consumer brands, would give investors completely different exposure. I mean, the, the similarities are that it's a Chinese consumer. Tencent's driven by the Chinese consumer. Maotai is a beverage company. Donga Erjiao is a, as a consumer products company. They're both likewise driven by the Chinese consumer. And also dominant in their market. They are extremely dominant. Uh, Maotai, Does the Chinese government not worry about that? Well, interestingly enough, and I didn't mention in the talk, both of them are state, state-owned enterprises. I mean, these are nas- national treasures. This would be, you know, the South African equivalent would be sort of Table Mountain or, or, you know, there's nothing really, you can't say, you can't really compare Maotai with with KWV brandy. I mean, it's just much more dominant, much more entrenched. Give you some examples. Maotai has got 70, 70% market share of premium white spirits sold in China. It's essentially a monopoly. Um, it's got 99% aided brand awareness. What, that, what does that mean? You ask 100 Chinese people, rich, poor, old, young, male, female, drinkers, non-drinkers, 100 of them, have you heard of, Ch- of Kuecho Mata? 99 out of 100 say yes. There's nothing like that, really, in the Western world. Um, so, so phenomenal brands. You know, Malta is three to 400 years old. Dongerjao, the brand goes as a history that goes back two and a half thousand years. It's nothing like that really exists on, uh, you know, on the planet. So our, the key question for us when we invest in any company is, you know, how confident are we this, this company is going to be around in 10 years from now and, and much more likely to be much more profitable? And so for a company that's 2,500 years old with, 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 with 10, 10 years of 20% plus growth and, and, and still huge growth potential, we're pretty confident, you know, when we're pretty confident they're going to be much more profitable 10 years out. And it's a monopoly. It's a monopoly. You're investing yeah. alongside the government. Investing so alongside like the. It's going to get broken no, up. No, and that's the thing. I think you know we, we, we have a strong preference for owner-operated businesses like Tencent, like Alibaba. 
But some of these national treasures, the state would never sell Maotai to Diageo because, you know, that'd be sort of, that would be like selling the crown jewels here, here in the UK. It's just not going to happen. And so there's a very strong alignment as a minority shareholder because um, these are some of the biggest taxpayers in China. And so tax, tax in China is a function of profit. So the government wants a higher tax take, so they want these companies to be more profitable, and, and that's good for minority shareholders. Now you close with a quote from Charlie Munger, mm. telling us that the Americans are actually missing this, yeah. this great opportunity. Yeah. So, so two, year, two weeks ago at, at, at the Berkshire shareholders meeting uh, in Omaha, uh, Charlie Munger said something along the lines of uh, – American investors have been missing China because of headlines in the newspapers, because it's foreign, because they don't understand it, because it's different. Um, and then he goes on to say he thinks that this is exactly where American investors should be uh, looking. And of course, we could you could say American investors, you could say British, South African, you know, global investors, and, and we completely agree with, with, with his thesis. So the idea is to actually do a little bit of homework uh, or even just follow your funds and, uh, and uh, follow you into the stocks that you're investing into. Yeah, I think that is, that is the you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it, if you're going to invest in China, yes, there, there is a lot of return potential, but the risks are much higher at the stock level. And so you, I would say you've got to do your own work on the ground, kicking tires, speaking with customers, speaking with former employees. If you can't do that, I mean, I wouldn't sleep well at night. And hence, I'd say either try to get access to these, to folks that can help, help you, or invest with someone who's doing it. All very sensible. Makes you want to rush out and start opening that account with the Hong Kong stockbroker, doesn't it? But what about the Donald and his threatened retaliation? his attempts to bring down America's huge trade deficit by punishing China. Does that keep David Kricher awake at night? Risk of a trade war, who knows? <laughs> We've got a, uh, a pretty um, unpredictable individual in the White House. A lot of bluster. Um, who knows? We, we're just trying to keep our eyes on the horizon. Are you, are you uh, shaping your portfolio, though? Not, not at all. I mean, we've been, our portfolio for the last six, seven years, it's been very focused on the Chinese domestic consumer. So companies like Tencent, Alibaba, Kuesha, Maotai, etc. Um, really, what happens with trade and tariffs and steel and will have a, a minimal impact on the fundamentals of those businesses. Could share prices get hammered? Of course. But we would look at those as, as buying opportunities. Of course, not everyone will agree with Kricher's prognosis, but if you step away for a minute, it's quite well accepted around the world that China's economic growth rate is a multiple of that in the West, and with 1.4 billion people, that's around one in every five human beings, the potential for its best consumer companies is undeniable. As Kricher shared with us, there can't be many better ways of participating in this Chinese growth story than through Motai, the booze business, and Dong Chao, the traditional health operation. Both partly state-owned, so you've got the right partners, both near monopolies. 
and they generate the best profits. And especially as both stocks are also very attractively priced when compared with Western peers. So time to go and do your own homework. This has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.